Our scripture reading this morning is Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Hear now the, uh, the very word of God. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manane, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you this morning and we praise you for who you are. You are the God who is worthy of the praise of every single person on the planet. You are the God who deserves glory from the ends of the earth. You are the God who has given his church the responsibility and the task of declaring your glory to the nations. Lord, thank you that Milton Community Church is a church that has obeyed that command. Thank you that Milton Community Church raises up and sends out and supports missionaries. Lord, we pray that you would send out many laborers to the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord, we pray that you would use your word from Denal this past weekend to raise up many students to go out into the harvest, that you would plant in their heart a desire for the nations, that they would get plugged into their local church, and that they would be witnesses where they are right now, where you have placed them, for they are empowered by your Holy Spirit to be witnesses in their schools and in their neighborhoods and in their workplaces. And Lord, that's true of each and every one of us. We are where you have placed us for your glory, for your purposes. So help us to be faithful and help us to send and support those who go for the sake of the name. Lord, we thank you for those that you have sent out from our midst already to the history of this church. We thank you for the D family serving in Germany and for the S family serving in Central Asia. And Lord, thank you for calling me and my family to go to the ends of the earth where the gospel has not yet gone. And thank you for this church that has raised me and equipped me and trained me and is now sending me and my family to go. Lord, I pray that Milton Community Church will continue to be a church that sends and supports for the sake of your glory among all the nations. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So thank you for praying for D-Now this weekend. Nathan already thanked everybody who was involved, but I want to add my thanks as well, especially to you, Nathan, for handling all the admin details, things that I usually have to handle. So it's nice to hand that off. So thank you so much. And for host homes and for leaders and for bus drivers and for everyone else who participated, all the students who came, thank you so much for coming to Dean Now. Thank you, Matt, for leading worship, and thank you for being with us today. I don't know where you sat, but thank you for being here. I've been blessed already this morning. The reason I was asked to speak, we usually bring an outside speaker, but the reason I was asked to speak is because the other leaders that we plan this D now with wanted me to share what God was doing in my own life and how God was sending us to the nations, but also to challenge these students that they too are called to go to the nations, that they too are called to care about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, that they too are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So that was our theme this weekend, as you can see it on their t-shirts, to the ends of the earth. So if you see somebody with that t-shirt, go up to them and ask what they learned this weekend, see if we did any good. But students, help me out. What was our theme verse? Acts 1.8. Students, you ready? We're going to say it together. You got it memorized yet? Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to... Wonderful. Amen. Awesome. So that was our theme this weekend, and we had three main sessions together. And so this is really the fourth session. So I'm going to catch you up on what we've been talking about all weekend long. So uh, if you want to jot these down or just pay attention uh, to catch you up on what we've been talking about, the first session was titled Be My Witnesses. And we looked at Luke 24 where we see the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus commissioned his disciples to go out. And then we saw where Luke picks that up in Acts chapter one, where he commissions his disciples to go out uh, after, right before he ascends into heaven. And we had two truths from that first session. Truth number one, God's will is for you to know Christ. 
God's will is for you to know Christ. And truth number two, God's will is for you to make Christ known. So we wanted our students to know the gospel and to know that it was their duty to share the gospel with those that God has placed in their lives. That was session one. Session two, we went down to Clarkson, Georgia, and we partnered with Clarkson International Bible Church to make the gospel known in the most ethnically diverse square mile in the United States. And so we looked at Acts chapter 8, where the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we had three truths that morning. Truth number one, God scatters his witnesses for his glory. Truth number two, God sends his witnesses to all peoples. Truth number three, God sovereignly determines where all peoples live for his glory. And so God's got this whole thing rigged. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's going to accomplish his mission. I know that said that, I said that fast, so you couldn't write that down, but it's okay. You got it. That's the point. God has a plan and a purpose, and he invited us to be a part of it, to get his gospel to all nations. And then session three... We wrapped it all up, and we started in Acts 9, and we followed the journey of Paul through, uh, through the rest of the book of Acts, and we had one main idea. And that one main idea was this. We wanted those students to know that God has empowered you with the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. We talked about how God is calling many to be goers and many to be senders, how we all have a part to play in making disciples of all the nations and taking his gospel to the ends of the earth. And we followed the book of Acts, and the book of Acts, how it traces the story of the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth through the spread of local churches. We looked at Acts 13, how the church at Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and how every follower of Jesus and every church is called to participate in that mission. And so this morning, we're going to continue our theme through the book of Acts, through the mission of Acts, and we're going to follow the story of that church, the church of Antioch. We're going to follow that story all the way through the book of Acts. And this sermon is titled, The Sending and Supporting Church. And so by holding the church as Antioch as an example, we're going to look at the six scenes in the book of Acts in which the church appears. We're going to do something a little bit different, so when you hear this, you're going to get nervous. But are you ready? We'll look at the six scenes in the book of Acts where the church of Antioch appears. And we're going to identify 30 characteristics of a sending and supporting church. So I know what you're thinking. But don't worry, right? A 30-point sermon. It is my last sermon, so I want to get it out there. But these are going to be very, very quick sermons. Very, very quick points, okay? We're going to go fast. Some characteristics we're going to zoom in on and talk about. And others we're just going to observe. We're just going to see it in the text, note it, and move on. And these sermons are going to be very, very practical, okay? So it's things we can put into practice right now in the life of our own church. Another thing you may be thinking, isn't this really self-serving, right? And uh, yeah, kind of, it is. But I'm not the first person this church has sent out, and hopefully I'm not the last, right? And so we want Milton Community Church to be able to exhibit the same characteristics as the church at Antioch so that we continue to send out more laborers into the harvest and continue to support those we've sent in a manner worthy of God. So I do have slides this morning to help you take notes. So I know you you appreciate that, Shannon. And also, Stephen back there, pray for him as he tries to keep up with these slides. So everybody got their pens ready? Stephen, you got your fingers ready? Here we go. Scene number one. It's Acts chapter 11. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. It'll also be up on the screen. Acts chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believes turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. All right, that's the first scene, and we got a couple characteristics right here to note very quickly. Characteristic number one, 
Ascending and supporting church has a healthy culture of evangelism. So we see here in the book of Acts, persecution arose because of the the death of Stephen and ordinary Christians, we don't even know their names, were spread out all throughout Judea and Samaria, and they go about speaking the word and preaching the Lord Jesus. Right? We don't even know their names. These aren't superhero Christians. These are ordinary Christians who go out proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and trusting God with the results. And we see that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. That's characteristic one. That was fast, right? Is that fast enough? All right. Characteristic number two. Ascending and supporting church has a heart for church planting. Heart for church planting. So again, we don't even know the names of these believers who planted this church at Antioch. They were just everyday, ordinary followers of Jesus. But each and every one of them were empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to be witnesses. They proclaimed the gospel and they gathered believers together as a local church. And this was not just any local church. This was the local church where followers of Jesus were first called what? Christians. And this was also the church that sent out the very first Missionaries. We'll look at that in a second. That's characteristic number two. Characteristic number three, ascending and supporting church has a healthy culture of discipleship. A healthy culture of discipleship. We see that the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to them. And what did Barnabas do? He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. That's what discipleship is. That's all it is, is helping others follow Jesus. Helping others remain faithful to the Lord. And then Barnabas went and got Saul, and Saul and Barnabas stayed in the church in Antioch and taught a great many people. That's discipleship, teaching one another, individually, through groups, the whole church setting. Sending and supporting church has a healthy culture of discipleship. All right, first three characteristics. How are we doing so far? We good? Keeping up? All right, scene number two, Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. We just heard this read. Let's look at it again. Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now, there are in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. All right, characteristic number four. A sending and supporting church raises up qualified Leaders. So the list grows from Saul and Barnabas, named in Acts 11, to include three more men who were called teachers. And so Saul and Barnabas didn't do all the work themselves. They raised up other godly men. They multiplied themselves and raised up other godly men to lead the church. Sending supporting church raises up qualified leaders. Characteristic number five, a sending and supporting church has a healthy culture of worship. A healthy culture of worship. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So this was a church that was committed to the worship of God. And a church that is committed to the true worship of the one true God will be passionate about missions. Listen to this quote from John Piper. This is how he starts his book on missions, Let the Nations Be Glad. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. The reason we do missions is because God is worthy of the worship of every single person on the planet. But there are still billions of people who have never heard how they can have a relationship with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's worthy of the praise of all the people groups on earth. And it's our job to go and tell them the gospel, declare to them the glory of God so that God receives the worship that is due his name. Characteristic number six, ascending and supporting church is dependent on the Holy Spirit. Ascending and supporting church is dependent on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who sets apart missionaries. They didn't do anything themselves. The Holy Spirit was the one who set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work that the Lord has for them. New Testament scholar Daryl Bach notes this. He says, the call of Barnabas and Paul takes place in the context of worship. Everything about this event argues that the mission is grounded in God's command and the church, church's response engaged in devotion. The Spirit directs that the two be sent out, and the church is obedient to that call. 
And so the Holy Spirit is the initiator here, right? The church is not the initiator. The Holy Spirit is the initiator, and it's the church's uh, responsibility to be respondent to the Holy Spirit, to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's the one who sets apart missionaries. Holy Spirit is also the one who sets the terms of missions, right? We don't get to determine what we do, right? We think we have a better way than the Holy Spirit oftentimes. But no, the Holy Spirit has set the, the terms of missions in his word. This next slide will show four biblical principles for missions. This comes from Andy Johnson's little book called Missions, which we'll be referring to a lot this morning. Point number one, the mission of missions is primarily spiritual. The mission of missions is primarily spiritual. What's that mean? It means that the church can do a lot of good things. The church can help a lot of people with physical needs. There's a lot of need in the world today. The church can do a lot of good and help a lot of people. But are physical needs the primary responsibility of the church? No. No, we can do a lot of good things. We can feed a lot of people. We can dig a lot of wells. We can clothe a lot of people. But if it doesn't, it's not accompanied by meeting their spiritual needs, by preaching the gospel to them, then they will walk straight into hell with full bellies and clothes on their back. The mission of missions is primarily spiritual. Second, the mission belongs to God for his glory on his terms. Right? We don't do missions to make a name for ourselves. We don't do missions to make a name for our church. We do missions because God is worthy of glory. He sets the terms. He gets the glory. Number three, God gave the mission to the local church. The church is the vehicle by which the mission of God spreads throughout the world. Nothing else. Local churches like this one are responsible to carry out the Great Commission. Point number four, the Bible tells us all we must know to faithfully fulfill God's mission. He's not left us in the dark. We don't have to come up with new and innovative ways to reach the world. He's made it pretty simple. You're empowered with the Holy Spirit. Go out, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you in the context of local churches. All right, characteristic number seven. A sending and supporting church raises up missionaries. This one seems pretty obvious. The next couple will seem pretty obvious. But ascending and supporting church raises up missionaries. The church should be intentional to develop those that it sends out. We should develop a culture of sending for all ages. I can share just a little bit about this in my own personal life. Right? I, I've been at this church since I was three years old. Tons of little things have contributed to my call to go to the nations. Things like royal ambassadors, where we heard about missionaries around the world. Things like Team Kid. Things like student ministry. Events like D-Now. Events like mission trips that I was able to go on. Countless sermons preached from the Word of God, showing our task and responsibility to reach the nations. And countless conversations. And many of you have been a part of that. And so what can we do to intentionally develop a culture of raising up missionaries? Max Stiles says it this way. Healthy churches produce healthy Christians who become healthy missionaries. So if we just focus on the task that God has given us, continue to do those first couple characteristics, God will continue to raise up healthy missionaries that we send out. Characteristic number eight, a sending and supporting church trains missionaries. Trains missionaries. Where did Paul and Barnabas receive their missionary training? It wasn't seminary. It was the context of the local church. Right? I love seminary. I went to seminary. I'm a product of seminary. Seminaries are great. But the local church has the primary responsibility of training its missionaries. If missionaries are to go out and to plant churches, right, they should probably know what a local church does and how a local church functions. They need to be trained in the context of a local church. Characteristic nine, ascending and supporting church assesses missionaries assesses missionaries. So local churches also should drive the assessment of potential sent ones. And so this includes things like evaluating their character, evaluating their giftings, evaluating their qualifications, evaluating their faithfulness and their fruitfulness and their Bible knowledge, right? Missionaries we send out should be elder qualified or deacon qualified. They should be people we would be happy to have as deacons and elders in our own church. People who are meaningful members growing in grace that are engaging locally with people they encounter who have probably had international experience before, who are well-trained, who have been taught the word of God and can teach the word of God to others. That's what we're looking for when we assess missionaries. Characteristic 10, ascending and supporting church affirms missionaries. 
affirms missionaries. Look at back, back at verse 3. It says, they laid their hands on them. We do this sometimes in our church, but this is a pretty big deal. Listen to 1 Timothy 5, 22. It says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So we can be guilty of sending out unqualified missionaries, and God will hold us accountable for that. And so don't be hasty in laying on hands. The church should be the one that affirms missionaries. It's a big deal to affirm missionaries and to set them apart. And the church is the ones who are best qualified to handle that. The church is the one who best knows the ones they are sending out, who has seen their life, who has seen how that person acts in their family and how they act in their day-to-day life. Characteristic 11, ascending and supporting church commissions missionaries. Commissions missionaries. They laid their hands on them and they did what? They sent them off. They commissioned them to the task at hand. They entrusted them to the Lord for the work that he had called them to. Brings us to characteristic number 12, one of the most obvious ones of them all. Ascending and supporting church sends missionaries. Right? The sending church is the one who sends out missionaries. The reason I make this point, though, is because often, maybe in the back of our minds, maybe because of the way we've seen things done, we think that it's the mission-sending agency that sends the missionaries. But who did God give the Great Commission to? The church, not to any mission-sending agency, right? I'm grateful for mission-sending agencies. I'm, I'm going through a mission-sending agency, right? We should partner together with mission-sending agencies, but mission-sending agencies are not the local church. They are para-church. They're to come alongside the church. They're to be run through the church. They're to be held accountable to the church. The church is the ones who who sends out missionaries, who can help determine where a missionary is to be sent. They should look at things like where they're going. Is there a team there where they can fit into the strategy and be a good fit? Are, Are there places that they're working on church planting and church strengthening, right? These are priorities we see in Paul's letters to Timothy. Paul said, I'm going to do pioneer church planning, but Timothy, I'm leaving you here to strengthen the church. And so we should focus on that sort of work in sending our missionaries to plant churches or to strengthen churches. We should direct our workers to focus on work that is being done well with a good commitment to solid theology and a solid uh, missiological method. We see this again in Paul's letter to Timothy where he says that Timothy should preach the word with great patience and careful instruction. There's a lot of so-called missions in the world today that's actually doing more harm than it is good. We need to be careful about who we send and what kind of work we send them to. That brings us to characteristic number 13. A sending and supporting church sends their best. Sends their best. So send your best. Don't send leftovers, right? Missionaries, I can say this because I'm going to be one, sometimes have a reputation of being weird. Maybe that stereotype isn't always so far-fetched. And maybe the reason it isn't so far-fetched is because maybe sometimes churches do send the weird ones. Maybe they send the ones that they don't want sticking around their church. Right? This person's passionate, but, oh, they're kind of weird. Let's send them to the other side of the world, right? Don't do that. Don't do that. Hold on to those people. Disciple them, shape them into the kind of leaders that you would really want in your church, that you would really want to keep around, and then send them out. The church of Antioch sent their very best, right? They sent Barnabas, their greatest encourager. They sent Paul, their greatest teacher. Sending should hurt. It should hurt like you're losing something. Brooks Buser, who is the president of Radius International, a missionary training organization, says this. Churches, send your best. Send your heart and your soul to the mission field. Send the ones you will weep over saying, there goes our future. And continue to do it. Continue to raise up and continue to send out your best. All right, that brings us to scene number three. So flip over in your Bibles to Acts 14. Scene three, Acts 14. We're going to look at verses 24 through 28. Acts 14, verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commanded to, commended by the grace of God to the, for the work they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. 
And they remained no little time with the disciples. All right, characteristic number 14, another very obvious one. You ready? Ascending and supporting church both sends and supports. We see here in the church in Antioch how it served as a home base for Paul and Barnabas. So as they went on their first missionary journey, they returned to the church at Antioch at the end of it. So the church at Antioch understood that their job didn't end when they sent them out. Paul and Barnabas, we're glad you were here for a while. Thanks for teaching us. We're sending you off. See you later. Never again, right? That's not what happened. But many local churches today have abdicated their role and responsibility of supporting missionaries because, again, they see that as a task and a role of a mission-sending agency. But who has God given the church of to, the responsibility to support missionaries? The church. He's given the church the responsibility to support missionaries. Ryan Martin, in his book, Holding the Rope, says this. He says, churches tend to see commissioning as the culmination of their job rather than the beginning of the ongoing care they will provide to their missionaries. Sending should not be the finish line, but instead the start of the role the church plays in undergirding the work of her partners. Aaron Minikoff, in his article, Don't Just Be Ascending Church, Be a Staying Church, says this. He says, it's not enough to be ascending church. You need to be a staying church. A staying church doesn't let the rope fray or the bond loosen. As inconvenient as the relationship may be, the staying church remains involved by praying faithfully, communicating regularly, visiting occasionally, and always looking for new and creative ways to help. This is how we hold the rope, and we mustn't let go. He used the language, hold the rope there. I want to introduce you to that language. We've talked about it before. But that brings us to characteristic 15, ascending and supporting church holds the rope. Holds the rope. So this comes from William Carey, who was a missionary to India in 1792. And he's known as the father of modern missions because of his advocacy for foreign missions and his role as the most famous early missionary. Many people have heard of William Carey, but much fewer people has, have heard of his friend, Andrew Fuller. William Carey went to India. Andrew Fuller stayed in England. But this doesn't mean that Fuller was disobedient to the Great Commission. He was obedient to the Great Commission by being a sender. William Carey was a goer, one who left his homeland to take the gospel where it had not yet gone. And Andrew Fuller was a sender, one who stayed where the gospel has been established, but worked to send the gospel to places it had never gone before. Andrew Fuller helped organize the Baptist Missionary Society, which is one of the very first missionary sending organizations who supported the work of Carey and many others to support the work of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And this phrase, hold the ropes, comes from a conversation that William Carey had with Andrew Fuller and others in that society. Listen to how Andrew Fuller describes this experience. He says, Our undertaking to India really appeared at its beginning to me somewhat like a few men who were deliberating about the importance of penetrating a deep mine which had never before been explored. We had no one to guide us. And whilst we were thus deliberating, Carrie, as it were, said, Well, I will go down if you will hold the rope. But before he descended, he, as it seemed to me, took an oath from each of us at the mouth of the pit to this effect, that whilst we live, we should never let go of the rope. Carrie said, I'll go down into the pit. I'll go down to preach the gospel to where it's never gone before, but you have to support me. You have to hold the rope and never let go, lest I fall. So Fuller held the ropes, and he served as the president of the Baptist Mission Society from its founding until his death in 1814. He traveled all over the British Isles, raising funds and preaching mission-related sermons. And the missionaries in India and other fields that the society sent missionaries to could concentrate on their ministry because they knew Fuller was advocating for them back home, that he was holding the ropes. That's the job of a sending and supporting church, to hold the ropes. Now, we don't know all the ways that the church at Antioch held the ropes for Paul and Barnabas, right? It was a different time. It was a different world. There have been quite a few advancements in technology since the time of Paul and Barnabas and even since the time of William Carey. And so these next couple characteristics are ways in which churches can hold the ropes now. So characteristic number 16, ascending and supporting church holds the ropes by communicating, by communicating. This one too seems obvious, but unfortunately, 
it's been seen that the longer the missionary is on the field, the more easily forgotten they are. David Wilson writes this. He says, when missionaries first leave for the field, it's often with a wonderful commissioning and send-off with the prayers of the people who know them, love them, and appreciate what they're doing. But as the years go by and the busyness of life overtakes those in the home church, good intentions of trust can fall by the wayside. So how do we stay in contact? By communicating regularly, right? It's a lot easier to communicate today than it was back then. Right? You don't have to send letters by ship anymore. You can send emails. You can Zoom and FaceTime, right? So members can sign up and receive and reply to newsletters, right? You know, you get that missionary newsletter in your inbox. You know, they can see who clicks on it. So just click on it. If nothing else, just click on it. That's a huge encouragement. Or reply to them and just say, praying for you. Thank you for updating us. We have the ability for regular Zoom calls or FaceTimes with, with friends or with discipleship groups or with elders where we can study books together or just share what's going on in each other's lives and pray for one another. Churches can include contact information in a directory or they can pay special attention and provide specific care to those who have been sent and their children and, and their wives. And if there's a single on the field, make sure we're maintaining communication. You know that by adopting TCKs, third culture kids, right? Don't forget about the kids of those you sent. Send care packages. Communicate regularly with them. Characteristic 17, a sending and supporting church holds the ropes by praying, by praying. So prayer must be a weapon that the church constantly wields. God will accomplish much through prayer, right? Not just reactive prayer, but proactive prayer. Constantly covering those you sent out in prayer. And this should not just be a select few. It should be the whole congregation. It's great for a select few to be an advocacy team who communicates regularly with the missionary, but then communicates with the rest of the church. Here's what's going on. Here's how you can pray. Here's how you can support. And you can do that through discipleship groups or through community groups or through discipleship classes or in our Sunday morning prayers or our prayer gatherings like we have done before. Churches can put their missionary prayer requests in a church's newsletter. You may not know this, but we already do this week by week. Who knows about the battle cry? Anybody? You get a battle cry every week. And every week there is a missionary on the front page with requests that they have sent out, the ways that you can specifically be praying for them. So open up that battle cry, get one off one of the, the welcome desks, and pray for our missionaries through the requests that they have asked for. That brings us to characteristic 18. Ascending and supporting church holds the ropes by giving. So keep your place here in Acts, but I want you to turn with me to 3 John. 3 John, and we're going to see real quick, John instruct a church to faithfully support missionaries, one sent out for the sake of the name. So 3 John, we're going to read verses 5 through 8. It says, Beloved, is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on a journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So John's saying support for fellow workers, support for those who go out for gospel ministry is a commendable, honorable thing. Verse 6 says to send them on their journey. Verse 8 says we ought to support. So not everyone is called to pack their bags and to go overseas. But all of us, every single one of Christ's followers, are called to play a part in sending the gospel to the nations. And that includes giving of financial resources. He also talks about knowing those you support. It's important to know those you support. Verse 5, he calls them these brothers. Verse 6, the ones who testified. Verse 8, we are to support people like these. And so we believe that churches should emphasize depth over breadth in our missionary partnerships. A lot of churches have a hundred missionary partners, but they don't know any of them, and they support them very, very shallowly, an inch deep. We believe it's much healthier to choose a few partners that we trust, that we know really well, that will do good work and support them wholeheartedly. Right? Churches, that means churches have to say no to even good things, and they must prioritize and focus and decide what's most important for this church. How can this church best steward our resources to fulfill the Great Commission? So that means focusing on work and workers with whom we trust and whom we have significant relationships. 
And then he says that that support should be generous. Verse 6, he says, in a manner worthy of God. In a manner worthy of God. Right? If we're working with partners we know and trust, then it should be easy to give them all that they need. If we've chosen our partners wisely, we don't have any worries about how they'll spend that money, then we shouldn't hold back our support. Right? Titus 3.13 says, Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. That's giving in a manner worthy of God. And for all of this, right, the glory of God is the motivation. He says, for the sake of the name. They've gone out for the sake of the name. So that's why we send. That's why we support. For the glory of God and for the sake of his name among all the nations. Next characteristic, number 19, ascending and supporting church holds the ropes by going. By going. So sending short-term trips to help those on the field to support their long-term work. And this can look like several different things. This can look like taking care teams, care trips to provide uh, pastoral visits or just to care for the souls of those we have sent to make sure they are strengthened and they are encouraged and they can last on the field. They can also send short-term teams to help in the work, to join them in evangelism and broad seed sowing of the gospel or to do a project that will help them advance the kingdom in that place or to raise up leaders and develop them to lead their own churches. Right, we, we do several of those every year. We just got back from a, a trip from West Africa where we did evangelism and we did leadership training. We're taking another one later this year where we're, we're going just to serve the missionaries in a certain part of the world by taking care of their kids so that they can go to a meeting and receive rest and they can receive training and they can be encouraged by us being there. But short-term trips can also pose a danger. And so we have to make sure we have a healthy view of short-term trips. We don't want to discourage our workers, right? We don't want to, to exhaust our workers. We, want to, uh, we don't want to make them feel like we have expectations that we're placing on them and, and that they're there to serve us rather than us there to serve them. In his book, uh, Missions, Andy Johnson gives us nine rules for short-term trips. So let's go through these really quickly. Nine rules for short-term trips. One, be focused on God's glory among the nations. That's a repeated theme here. That's the goal, right? Not us to get another stamp on our passport. The goal is God's glory among the nations. Number two, be humble. Be humble, right? You're not the expert. Be willing to serve. Be ready to learn. Number three, be prepared to spend yourself and be spent. These trips can be exhausting, but God provides grace to endure. Number four, be flexible. That's my number one rule on all youth mission trips. Nothing ever goes the way that it's going to go. So be flexible. Number five, be a learner, right? Recognize there are many things that you don't know. And there are many things that God might want to teach you. He may be calling you to the nations and using this short-term trip as a motivation to go yourself. Number six, be encouraging. Be encouraging. Don't criticize. Don't tear down. Rather, build up. Number seven, be extravagant in service. So seek to serve the long-term workers and the local believers more than you seek to be served. Number eight, be low maintenance, right? Don't be a mission trip diva. Number nine, be patient. Things work differently in other countries, right? They don't work on our time schedule. Be patient and trust God with the results. So in addition to going short term, churches can also work toward providing additional partners. And so you can raise up other goers to join these teammates in their long-term work. Characteristic number 20. So that's on the field. Characteristic number 20, ascending and supporting church receives missionaries as they return. Right back to the book of Acts and the church of Antioch, we see this very, very clearly. Churches, the church extends hospitality to, missionary, to the missionaries as they return from the field. Today, this can look like helping them and assisting them in their stateside affairs. And so these missionaries need a place to live they need a car to drive. They need all these things. You can help them do that. You can provide a haven for resting. You can be ready for them to return and ready to serve them and bless them. And characteristic number 21, ascending and supporting church hears reports from missionaries. So verse 27, we see they gather the church together and they declared all that God had done with them. So when missionaries return, churches should give them space to tell about what God is doing. Give them opportunities to tell the story to the whole church. Right? And today that doesn't just have to happen when they come home, though it should. But that can happen anytime because of our current technology. Characteristic 22. Ascending and supporting church holds missionaries accountable. Holds missionaries accountable. And so hearing these reports is not just for the sake of the missionary. 
right? It's also for the sake of the church to hear what they're doing to the ends of the earth, right? If you hear some funky things, follow up on that and hold them accountable. It's the church's job as they sin to also hold their missionaries accountable to remain faithful to the gospel and faithful to the missionary task. Characteristic 23, a sending and supporting church maintains relationships with missionaries. So this should, this should always be happening. We should always be working to maintain relationships with the ones we sent, but especially when they return from the field. Verse 28 says, they remained no little time with the disciples. Again, in his book, Holding the Rope, Ryan Martin says this, the sending church should be seen as a haven for reporting, resting, and recharging as missionaries come off the field. Much like a coach pulls an exhausted player off the field to protect them and foster their longevity over the course of the game, the church needs to be a place where missionaries are received into the tangible care of those who know them, support them, and love them deeply. We should care about our missionaries and continue to build that relationship. All right, this brings us to scene number four. So Acts 15, the very next verse, the scene kind of changes. Right? We see a theological controversy arise, and it starts in the church in Antioch. Now, we don't have time to get into all the details, but let's see what happens and what the characteristics we can glean from the church in Antioch are. So Acts 15, verses 1 through 2, says that some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. But after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so we see in, in Acts 15, the apostles and the elders gathered to consider the matter. And it says there was much debate, but eventually they ended up agreeing with Paul and Barnabas. They ended up agreeing there's no extra requirement to be saved that, that the Gentiles had to do, right? Salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They didn't have to become Jews first to become Christians. And let's get down to verse 22. It says, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send to them Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. And then verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So a couple characteristics we can glean from this. Characteristic number 24, a sending and supporting church upholds sound doctrine. They guard the true gospel in their own church so that they can export the true gospel to the ends of the earth. The, the good news that Jesus is, the, is God in the flesh, that he came and lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve to die so that all who believe in him might have eternal life by his resurrection from the dead. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Repent and believe is the invitation. Not do all of these things, right? So that's the gospel we must hold. That's the gospel we must hold out. That's the gospel we must send to the ends of the earth. But we can't do it alone, which brings us to characteristic number 25, a sending and supporting church partners with other churches, right? They didn't handle this controversy on their own. They involved other churches and other believers. Churches should also not try to accomplish the Great Commission alone. Right? The Great Commission is far too great a task for any one church to accomplish alone. And so we should partner with other churches. And we, our church does that through local networks like the Greater Atlanta Baptist Network or the North American Mission Board or the Pillar Network or the International Mission Board. We need to partner together with other churches to reach the nations for Christ. Characteristic 26, a sending and supporting church preaches the word of the Lord. Verse 35 says, they remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. That's what builds the church, right? Not anything else. Preaching of the word of God. That's what makes disciples. That's what conforms people to the image of Christ. That's what sends people out to go on mission. The preaching of the word of God must be central to the church. That brings us to scene five, Acts 15, verse 36. Go ahead and turn there. Acts 15, verse 36, it says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. In verse 41, And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So characteristic 27, A sending and supporting church cares about the well-being of other churches. 
So not only should we partner with other churches, but we should care about how they're doing. We should care about their well-being. This is what launches Paul's second missionary journey, to go and see the churches that he helped establish. That brings us to characteristic 28. A sending and supporting church strengthens other churches. Right? So often we view other churches as competition. Right? Competition for the same people, competition for the same resources, but this is not the way it should be. Churches should care so much about the well-being of other gospel-preaching churches that we're willing to send our own resources, our own people, right, our own money to help other churches be strengthened. And that brings us to scene six, the final scene. Acts 18, verse 22 through 23. Go ahead and turn there. Acts 18, 22 through 33. It says, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So characteristic 29, a sending and supporting church encourages local church membership on the field. Where did I get that from? Well, on his third missionary journey, Paul ministered in Ephesus for about three years. So we just saw Paul leave for his third missionary journey. And part of that, he stays in Ephesus for about three years. I think we can safely assume that for all intents and purposes, Paul was a member of the church at Ephesus and even an elder at the church at Ephesus. And so article, we, we hold that to be true as well in our constitution. Article 4, section 2, clause 2 of our constitution says this. It'll be on the screen. No member of this church shall retain membership in any other local church except for members serving under the commission of this church on an international mission field. And so we send our missionaries out. We say, we're going to support you. We, we, we're sending you under our authority. We're going to hold you accountable. But we also want you to be plugged into a local church where you are. So it's expected of sent members to join a local church, if there is a local church, where they can be meaningful members, where they can, they can be plugged into the life of a local church and practice the one another's in scriptures and regularly gather with the saints. And that's the best way that they can strengthen the disciples. If there is a local church there, they should be expected to be a part of it. And that doesn't diminish at all our responsibility as sending churches to care for them or to hold them accountable. All right, last one. We've made it. Characteristic number 30. You ready? A sending and supporting church never stops sending and supporting. Do you remember William Carey's challenge to Andrew Fuller and his friends? He says, whilst you live, you should never let go of the rope. And so when the Holy Spirit sets apart a member and sends them out to be missionaries, the church that sends them is responsible to hold the ropes until the Lord brings them home. To summarize all that we've talked about, I want to give you six characteristics of a healthy partnership from Andy Johnson. So that partnership should be servant-minded. Servant-minded. Churches should seek to serve their partners, not their partners serve them. They should do whatever is needed as they learn what works best on the field, even taking trips like we're doing to take care of their children for a meeting. Number two, they should be pastor-led. So the pastor should be leading the charge in this. The elders should be leading the charges. They should be excited about missions and cultivating a, an ethos of, of, of missions and loving missions through their teaching that shows how the church's mission is connected to reaching the ends of the earth. Number three, it should be relationship-based relationship-based, and so we should know these partners and continue to build that relationship and uh, do everything we can to continue to, to know them and know how we can support them. Number four is commitment-centered, right? You're in it for the long haul, whether in the ups and the downs, when they're discouraged, when they seem like no fruit is being produced, we're committed to those that we send out. Number five is congregation-wide, congregation-wide, the whole church is to care about missions, not just a select few on a missions team. The whole church is to care about our missionaries. And number six, it's long-term focused. Long-term focus. We don't want to send out missionaries that come back just in a few years. We want to send out missionaries who are in it for the long haul, and we will be in it with them. So that's what the partnership between the church at Antioch and Paul looked like. And I hope by seeing this example that we too can exhibit these 30 characteristics of a sending and supporting church. And not only our church, but that many churches would rise up and become sending and supporting churches to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because the church of Antioch was not Paul's only partner church. 
There are other churches that also supported the missionary work of Paul. And so I want to close our time together this morning by reading some of his words from the letter to the Philippians. I'll do this for two reasons. One, because it shows just the sweetness of Paul's partnership with the church at Philippi. But also, because my heart for you, Milton Community Church, is the same as Paul's heart for the church at Philippi. So turn in your Bibles or look at the screens as I read from Philippians chapter 1 and then chapter 4. Philippians 1 verse 3. Paul says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's get down to Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned that whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you have made your church as a light to the nations. I pray that you would continue to use Milton Community Church to send and support its missionaries and continue to be a light to the nations. Help us to support those we've sent out in a manner worthy of you, for they go out for the sake of your name among all the nations. God, may you be glorified among all tribes, all tongues, all languages, all peoples, for you are worthy of all glory forever and ever. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.